Hello, and welcome to Plot Trists. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Hello, Stranger by Lisa Kleypas. So this was published in 2018 and is number four in the Ravenall series. And there are five actual Ravenall siblings that you've been introduced to in earlier books, so you may think this book is about them. But no, it's about Garrett Gibson, the doctor from an earlier book, and Ethan Ransom, the spy from two earlier books. So super excited, like best one in the series. Let's just jump right into the jacket. A woman who defies her time. Dr. Garrett Gibson, the only female physician in England, is as daring and independent as any man. Why not take her pleasures like one? Yet she's never been tempted to embark on an affair until now. Ethan Ransom, a former detective for Scotland Yard, is as gallant as he is secretive, a rumored assassin whose true loyalties are a mystery. For one exhilarating night, they give in to their potent attraction before becoming strangers again. A man who breaks every rule. As a Ravenel by-blow spurned by his father, Ethan has little interest in polite society, yet he is captivated by the bold and beautiful Garrett. Despite their vow to resist each other after that sublime night, she is soon drawn into his most dangerous assignment yet. When the mission goes wrong, it will take all of Garrett's skill and courage to save him. As they face the menace of a treacherous government plot, Ethan is willing to take any risk for the love of the most extraordinary woman he's ever known. I mean, I don't know. There are some good parts about this jacket, but they really make it seem like this is this is like a one-night stand sex pact. Mm-hmm. Which, that's not what this book is about. Right. Other than that, big issue... I actually have, I think it's fine <laughs> if they didn't say it was like the one night stand thing. Cause the rest of it is good. Right. She sort of tries to play it as I want you as often as you can get here. Yeah. Um, but it's, and he's constantly like, this is the last time. This is the last time, but there's no like agreement that it's only one time. Yeah. And it's, it's not, Yeah. Anyway, I love this. I love this book, guys. This is possibly my favorite Kleypas. It was probably perfect. And I'm just going to give away the biggest trope right now. It's in the jacket. But, like, it's spies. So you kind of knew it was going to be perfect. You probably had an idea it was going to be one of our favorites because there are spies. But it adds on, it adds on this amazing heroine. Like Garrett is just amazing. I love her. Yeah, this, I will totally admit there were a couple of like copy editing things that I still felt like you can see that she's currently not as edited as she should be. But these two characters are so amazing. I noticed it for about two seconds and then forgotten, didn't care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, no, this, this book is perfect. This book is perfect. And look, there are some, as always, there are content warnings that we're going to go into. But honestly, I I was reading this book and I was like, this book is just so good, not just as a Kleypas. It's not just a good Kleypas. I feel like it's it's really good thematic 
like thematically, I feel like she does a really good job here, which I have never once said about any other Claypus book. Well, and I, I think Claypus can be sort of hit or miss in terms of her character's exterior lives. Mm-hmm. And for all that Ransom is like a loner at this point, sad, tragic orphan, like his parents died when he was older, so it's not as depressing, but who's married to his job and trusts no one. And for all that she has her father and that's it. Like, I felt like the side characters were really well used and developed. Yeah, I thought so. I I love this book. <laughs> yeah. Um. So this week we only got seven words to try to top the jacket. So Meg, what was your seven word summary? Okay. So I did finally eventually come up with seven words. This was one of the hardest summaries that I've ever had to write. Oh, wow. Okay. It it took me a really long time, because probably because I just have so many feelings for this book. I could not distill them into seven words. All right. Mm-hmm. Here, here they are. Ethan's love story is literally heart-wrenching. <laughs> there oh. you go. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Mine. Spy falls for irresistible doctor, endangering all. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. Oh, we have to get in. Okay, we have to talk about this later. But I, I love the spin that she puts on the whole, I have to leave you to protect me trope. They, we'll there's, we will. And he also tries to pull the, I'm in more danger if you're with me because I'll be worried about you and not protecting myself. And she's like, bullshit. Yes, I love it. I love her. But before we get there, we do have a Gentleman Jackson's Get Fit workout for the unemployed spy. Basically. All the things that spies do. Yeah. I mean, it's like hand-to-hand combat, fencing, savat, which I looked up because I was like, what the heck is that? It's French Uh kickboxing, apparently. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I was like, okay, that's cool. He does boxing. He shoots people. He, I mean, really, he's an assassin, so he does any assassin-y stuff. Yeah. So anyway, that's how he keeps fit, I guess. He also um, has sex with everyone. It's very weird because he is very much like the spy to end all spies. Like not only is he the goes undercover, not only is he like the lockpick espionage, like cat or spy. It's implied he's the spy who gets sent in to seduce anyone and everyone. Anyone and everyone. And she literally is like man or woman. And was, I was like, interesting. This is like James Bond taken up to the nth degree. Like if James Bond and M were the same person. Yeah. Yeah. I I was very interested in that, but she glosses over it. So slightly disappointed. Right. Anyway, for me, the major trope in this book is hurt comfort. Other than spies. Other than spies. I mean, spies, yes, but anyway. It is definitely hurt comfort. So, like, so many ways over? Yes. I'm, it's like there's one big one you can think of, but there are more, you know? So it opens with them getting in a physical altercation with some baddies mm-hmm. and, like, worrying about each other. Then at one point, he's super injured, and she has to nurse him back to health in a more extreme manner than I think I've ever read in a romance novel, but I was kind of here for it. That's it. And then 
later on, like she gets attacked and he has to like rub her wrists where the, the ties were too tight. It's just the whole mm-hmm. thing is the two of them being uber protective and like capable. Yes. Yes. It's a competency porn. Oh my God. And also real porn. And also, I mean, it's both. It's like the best of all worlds. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ethan has so many daddy issues. He does. I, I I honestly think it goes beyond trope and becomes theme. But yeah, <laughs> I'll just say I'll put it that way. <laughs> well, the other parental one that's definitely a trope is she has mommy died having me issues. Yes. I think it's pretty common in romance novels for characters to have various degrees of being blamed by the living parent for killing the other parent in childbirth. Well, I say the other parent being blamed by the father for killing the mother in childbirth. But Um, she wasn't blamed by her. her No, but in her case, she blames herself in the sense that like my mom died having me. I don't really have memories of her. Part of the reason I went into medicine was so that other women wouldn't have to go through the same thing. Right. Uh, one of my favorite spy tropes appears, and it's the, someone's coming, quick, kiss me. Um, the way they describe him vaulting over the desk Girl. to grab her is my everything. It was amazing. <laughs> it was so amazing. It was like, she, Clapus like, ratcheted up the tension. They're in there, and she's like, someone's coming. And he's like, okay, I have five seconds. And he d- finishes his spy thing. And then, like, literally as the door's opening, he vaults over the desk. And it's amazing. Just in time to shove her up against something, get his hand partially up her skirt and his tongue in her mouth. And I'm just like, slow clap. You are a (laughs) hero among men. (laughs) That's right. Um, This is, I I kind of alluded to this before, but the big trope here of the spy subgenre, the sub-spy trope, is the we can't be together because people can't see us together because then they'll know you're my weakness. Right, right. I I mean, it's stupid, but I do love this trope. Like, we can't be together because I'm about to be a marked man and they will do whatever they can to get to me so they can't know you would get to me. Right. Of course they know. Of course they know. Of course they know. He, oh God, I love this part. He teaches her to fight. No, we actually saw this, I think this, I'm actually not sure which predates which, but if, if we think about um, Nine Rules to Break when romancing mm-hmm. a rake, they have a very similar fencing. Nine Rules is definitely before this. Make out. Because this was 2018 and that was like three series ago. All right. Well, there you go. So they, <laughs> one of my favorite things is like, you know, normally men don't look good in the fencing outfit, but he makes it look good. <laughs> I loved it. You know, know. I loved it. Um, He gives her a special method for summoning her to his, summoning him to her side. It's, it's it's not magical, but sexy. Yeah, it it is. It's like the bet signal, but sexy. Although it's like not actually sexy, but it, it, she made it sexy. Well, first of all, she wears it around her neck as a talisman at all times, which sexy concept. Um, to, it's a whistle and blowing is sexy. <laughs> I don't know. It involves mouths. Oh my god! Trying to justify my point. <laughs> um, eyeballs. What? What is yeah. this? Mean? You have 
to explain this one to me. No. So we've talked before about how, like, oftentimes if an, a, a character is hot, but we're not hot, but has a hot feature, it's eyes. In this, or if there's like a family resemblance, it's eyes. In this case, the Ravenel eyeballs allow everyone to know okay. he is a bastard, even when he doesn't disclose it. Thank to the you. point that other characters are commenting on it, like, oh, wow, looking into Ethan's eyes. That's weird. They're not related. <laughs> well, it turns out that West is a parent. It's like, I, I forgot to put this trope in. It's identical cousins trope. Yes. So there you go. Identical, identical cousins, cousins because notably their eyes are exactly the same as are the eyes of every other person in the family. Obviously. There's no genetic diversity. They do make a joke about it and say the reason there's no genetic diversity is because the Ravenels are super inbred. They do say that. They do say that. I don't know. My eyes are brown. Like, I like my eyes, but Mm -hmm. I don't think anyone would be like, Chris Smith, I can tell by those brown eyes. (laughs) Well, it's also... I don't think my eyes are exactly the same as anyone's in my family. It's Harry Potter syndrome. Yeah. There is the double-crossing government agent. And just in general, government bureaucracy ineptitude within law enforcement. Like, this book really leans into there are no good guys. Oh, God. Except for Ethan, yeah. Except for Ethan. (laughs) Which, obviously, we have talked about this many, many times on the podcast. But in case this is your first episode, Lane and I like the good guys. We like the good guy who maybe has to do bad things to be a good guy. And we also, in spite of all of the reasons we know it's problematic, have a weakness for, like, the genuinely moral guy in law enforcement. <laughs> well, and it's, and especially, like, the guy I know, the guy in law enforcement who who realizes that he's in a corrupt system and wants to reform it. Like, this yeah. is our trope right here. I thought you were going to say kink. I was like, I mean, yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with it. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Ethan is a lockpick, which spy, but subgenre lockpick. And I'll throw one more in about Garrett Gibson. She has one moment of like, (gasps) in a dress? (laughs) Yeah. And she even calls herself out on it. But then it sort of gets subverted because she spends a lot of the rest of the book in a dress. Yeah, she does. I mean, she wears dresses a lot. But there is that big moment the first time she does in the book. First time she wears, like, the really nice dress, yeah. Yeah. This is just so good. Yeah, this is is my favorite of the Ravenels. I've been talking it up for a long time, and I reread it for the podcast. I was honestly worried that I wasn't going to love it as much. Because, you know, when you reread things, sometimes they're not as good as you remember. But it was just as good, maybe even better than I thought, because this time, instead of just reading it for the romance, which is great, I feel like I was able to absorb more of the structure of the novel. And I think this may be her best structured novel. I think it's probably, it's just very well constructed. One thing that Kleypas doesn't do very well, and we've talked about this before, is her plotting. Mm-hmm. Like her plots often sort of fall apart after the couple gets together and she does often have them get married pretty early in the text or get together early in the text. Uh, but here there, the, the conflict was the spying. And so 
she was able to plot that a little better, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's interesting because I think the most obvious comparison to this one is Leo and Marx's book mm-hmm. in The Hathaways, just in terms of it being two characters who were established as having a dynamic in earlier books, and you sort of right. got to see them ahead of time. And we both talked about how Leo and Marx, the buildup was better than their book, but we like their book just for getting to see the execution of the two of them, mm-hmm. where this was sort of the opposite. The two of them were sort of ham-fistedly placed in earlier books, yeah. but those sort of eye-rolly, okay, you don't need to be here moments are what laid the groundwork for this book to be super well executed. Yeah. I also really liked her heroes in this book. It's just yes. really nice not to have a, a ballroom novel. Or a billionaire novel or a Duke novel or whatever. Like, Garrett is middle class. She's successful, but she's a middle class working woman. Ethan, it, Ethan lives in, like, a, a nasty studio apartment, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, and I would complain about, like, I've complained before about romance novels in general. This is not a Clapus problem where having a trace of aristocratic lineage somehow is a sign of morality. Yeah. And this almost turns that on its head. Not only is she just entirely middle class, the fact that he has aristocratic blood is treated as, as a negative. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I loved it. <laughs> so good. Should we talk about Ethan? Yes. He's basically been stalking Garrett since marrying Winterborn. <laughs> okay. The first time he stalks her, he's paid to do it. <laughs> that makes it better. No, he's actually not stalking her the first time. He's stalking Lady Helen. But he's stalking her to protect her if needed. Correct. And so then he starts doing it on his own time for free. He's not like following her into stuff or trying to learn about her life or going through her mail. He's like, this is a woman who is going through really dangerous parts of town unprotected except with her own skill. And she clearly has too high an opinion of that skill. Well, and, and not in a like diminishing way. Like she literally clearly doesn't know how to watch her sex. Yeah. Well, she, I think what makes it okay to me is that he's been following her around for her own protection um, for two years. It's like yeah. two full years. And he's never stepped in ever until one time where she actually needed a little bit of assistance just once in two years. And so I was like, okay. I'm wondering where all the free time came from. Well, he's been unemployed, right? But no, he's been employed. (laughs) He's been nominally unemployed, but he's been super employed and super busy working on a ton of different cases. But yet somehow every time she goes somewhere, she does like a weekly, it's a weekly trip. Mm-hmm. And so he makes the time to to walk her home. He probably doesn't even walk her in, but to walk her home every night. Basically, he's walking her home, but she doesn't know about it. <laughs> yeah. Which, I'm going to be honest, I I put this down as non-problematic. So I'm fine with yeah. I, I I would not blame you if you thought it was problematic, but um, he saved her life, so I don't care. Yeah. So we talked about how Garrett has daddy issues. Mm-hmm. This is a relatively this is a relatively common trait for a romance hero to have. 
let's rank romance novel tropes daddy issues is second only after inexplicably great body oh right i mean daddy issues is like it's the go-to romance hero angst yeah but i felt like she pulled it off so well here because he's got not one not two but three father figures that he has very complex feelings for and I believed them all. I was fascinated. And then the fact that he had these two, his, his, his father who raised him and then his biological father, and he had these issues with them growing up. And then he has these fatherly figure, this fatherly figure in his boss now as an adult, and then discovering that this father figure who he's I, idolized is also really flawed. I don't know. I just thought it was really handled very well. And that's why I said that it it moved to the level of like a thematic issue mm-hmm. rather than just a sort of trope. Yeah, he had daddy issues. So I really liked it a lot. Yeah. And I think it's important too. like one of these daddy issues wasn't his conflict. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that elevates it in this text is it's not like my dad wasn't a good guy and I'm going to punish him by never having children or my dad wasn't a good guy. So I'm going to work on the opposite side of the law as him or my dad wasn't a good guy. So I'm like emotionally closed off and don't have feelings. Like obviously all of these complicated relationship with his paternal figures shaped him, but not in like an explicit way we were supposed to buy as his reason for being or his major conflict. Yeah. So I really liked it a lot, basically. The only thing in that whole paragraph you wrote that I disagree with is I did think Hamlet was a little heavy-handed. <laughs> I thought I thought it was not too heavy-handed. <laughs> I, lo- I, I that, thought it wasn't too bad. I thought I thought his character development was great. I could have done with, like, half the number of Hamlet references. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I accept it. I accept that. Like I said, actually, I put this in my notes. Differing opinions are accepted, but they are incorrect. So I'm sorry, Lane. I will accept oh, I didn't know that was specifically about Hamlet or about, like, <laughs> his character analysis. Specifically okay. about Hamlet. <laughs> so, uh, so tell me about Garrett Lane. Okay. My favorite scene that is the most encompassing is he is like, okay, I need you to understand just how dangerous the case I'm working is. Like, I'm going to end up with a bullet in the head. In, like, most of the best case scenarios. Because even if I succeed in saving the world, because he's a superhero, they will still know I did it, and they will come for me. And her response is, okay, I have some money saved up. Let's run. I love it. And she's like, "I, I can take care of us. I can be a doctor anywhere. Let's slap a disguise on you and get on a boat. And it was just this, like, okay, you have rationally considered this. You're not giving, you might be giving up your practice and a lot of things that are meaningful to you, but you're not giving up your career and, like, that part of your identity. And you're going to support him because he's got to go and hide it. And my other thing that I loved about this, too, is she's like, it will take my dad with me. Yeah. She's like, my dad's going on the run with us. I, like, I just loved it because she was like, yep, I've considered it. I understand you're in danger. I'll take care of things. 
And I loved the resistance. So we talked about all the reasons he feels like his job needs to interfere in their relationship. For her, it's not her job other than a general worry that men won't respect her as a career woman, basically. Um, That's obviously very quickly not something she's thinking about with Ethan. I really liked that she was more caught up in, I have had this independent mindset. I have sort of realized it relying on on a man's opinion of me, they're going to let you down a lot. Building my life around a guy hasn't been a part of my reality because I'm fighting for recognition in this male dominated space. And I just felt like that was a much more valid way of presenting the conflict that I was able to identify with a lot more than if it had just been like a, I am single. Yeah. I'm a single independent, strong woman. I don't need no man. Which, and she's like, I mean, that's how I've been living my life, but. That's not her internal monologue, and I really liked it. One of the other things I love about Garrett, like, like, one of my favorite things about her is that she is the emotionally closed off one. Yes. Like, Ethan, the entire book, he's just, like, spouting this wonderful, like, everything he's emotionally open, but logically opposed and she's emotionally closed but logically open yeah that's like a good way he's of putting like, it i'm in love with you and she's like cool so fuck me <laughs> and he's like no i can't endanger you by having sex with you and she's like i have feelings yeah <laughs> i love it but anyway i i think they did a really good job of setting they claythus did a really good job of setting her up as being emotionally closed off as well without hitting it over your head and it's the same way she did it with the father figures with Ethan so I just think she did a really good job with the backstories for these two Garrett is a great character she's really good she's a really good character one of my favorite parts is she's she's like pottering around her lab and she's like imagining um marrying Ethan and she's like hmm how do we get to that point and she's like someone has got to propose to someone. She's like, I guess I could just propose to him. And then she thinks back to all the books she's read and she's like, Oh, there's no proposal scene. I don't know how it's done. I just like, I just loved it. How she's like, okay, I'm going to marry him. Now let's figure out how to do it. And her conclusion is like, I can't get down on one knee. So I'd really rather he do it. it (laughs) It was like that being the logical problem. I need to talk about the only thing I didn't like in this book and just sticking it in the middle here. Okay. Sounds as good as anything. What did you decide? The the major thing. So he's Irish, but it's unclear if he's genetically Irish or if he was just raised by an Irish guy. Couldn't tell. Yeah. Couldn't tell. No. I don't know if his mom was Irish or if his stepfather was Irish, but either way, like he's very integrated into the Irish community. Yes. And on their first date, he hears an Irish woman who knows him say his name and she pronounces it in the Irish way. And then only at like certain significant moments in the rest of the text, Garrett randomly pronounces his name in the Irish way, even though she is not Irish. And every time I thought it was very weird. (laughs) I I mean, I'm going to be honest. I also thought it was weird. However, it did not offend me the way Drago Dragon did because she sure. at least was going for his actual sure. name. 
But it, it's, I don't know, if somebody introduces them to yourselves, I don't know, say it's a French guy and it's John and he says, my name is John. And then you're like, Jean. <laughs> it's just stupid. It's weird. <laughs> it is weird. Um, so like here's my question. My name is Jesus. And then you randomly are like, but you're Mexican. So, hey, Suze. It's That's like, true. <laughs> Stop it. That's true. There, there is, so I do have a question. Is there too much West in this book? Obviously, we're setting up for the next book in the series, which is going to feature West. But this book actually had a scene from West's perspective. Yeah. Okay. Hypothetically, yes. Like, was it necessary to this book? No. But were the scenes with him at least relevant to the text? Scene from his perspective is after they've completed the surgery that he assisted with. Yes, he looks sorry. at Garrett and he's like, dang, she's hot. Maybe I should have had um, oh, I... <laughs> right. introduced that... us earlier. That was weird. I, w- I didn't understand that. Like, That's yes, there was too get. much West. And no, I didn't totally get it. That said, this book is so flawless otherwise that I forgot that that wasn't great. I think it, it hit me on this reading because I was like, wait a minute, what? This is weird. Yeah. Okay. So I just talked about a surgery. Basically, this book is one where there's like equal opportunity. Hero saves heroine and heroine saves hero. Like they just save each other all the time. And I loved it so much, Lane. I loved how skillfully Lisa Klepek made me love melodrama that I would usually not be into. Mm-hmm. So he summons her to what he thinks is his deathbed to spew prose. And she responds by being like, cool, I'm going to cut you open and save your life. He's like, oh my God. He says something like, your shadow is my sunlight. Just tell me you love me last. Like before I die, the last thing I want to hear. And she's like, she's like, I'm not saying it. I'm saving your life. <laughs> because she she's like in the moment she's like if I tell him I love him he's going to feel okay to go into the light basically and like and she's like that's not happening I do have some morphine here though so <laughs> she's like she's like uh she's like sweetheart we'll talk about it later I'm gonna inject you with morphine right now it was so good it was so good it like, uh, Lane, I mean, you know me. I had tears in my eyes, of course. I was like, oh, my God. This is amazing. But, the, but even after she saves him, and they're both doing their best to protect each other, I still liked the conversations they had and the way yeah. their relationship developed, mostly during his convalescence. But it was so good. It was really good. Really good. I loved it. I really loved it. Because this is also... She, I feel like Kleypas sets things up and pulls them off in this book better than any other novel she's written. So she sets up at the beginning, um, Garrett's talking to her partner, medical, another medical, another doctor, her partner. And her, he's like, you should take a vacation. He's like, you seem really stressed out. You should go on vacation. And then she goes on a vacation in this book because she has to help Ethan recover from his surgery, this major surgery. And so it's this forced vacation, but you can see her like getting less stressed out and like being yeah. able to enjoy life. And I don't know. I just was like, yeah, this, this really worked for me. 
So there aren't any like offensiveness things in this book to us for the most part, but content warnings. There's, yeah, well, there's one thing that I did think was not great. And it was really, it was the part where he talks about how he learned to be such a great lover. Yeah. Because he gets recruited to be a spy. And then they're like, okay, spy training. So in addition to getting lockpick training and all the other spy stuff, he gets sex training. And where Mm -hmm. does he get sex training? They send him to India and he gets sex trained by, they don't even, they don't even really specify who she is by a woman. Yeah. And I was like, really? So that part to me, I was like, you, that was unnecessary and honestly a little annoying. I would agree. But other than that, I was not offended by anything else in this book. It is a spy book. There's lots of shooting and fights and blood and there's a lot of medical stuff because Garrett's a doctor. Um, But like there's some intense medical stuff, like lots of blood and veins and scalpels and, you know, that kind of stuff. Like there's a point where she cuts a second incision under his armpit. Yes. To block off the flow of blood to an artery or a vein that she's about to do operation stuff on. And it's like very described. Mm-hmm. I will say one of my favorite parts of the surgery is she does this whole like amazing surgery. You know, it's incredible. And at the end, he's he's lost too much blood. So he's like about to die. And she calls him like a a pig fucker or something. And she's like, you're not going to die on me, you pig fucker. And I was just like, yes, Garrett. <laughs> I also thought Kleypas did a really good job describing that sort of hyperproductive place your brain can go to in a panic. Yeah. Like yeah. at no point in that did I think she seemed inordinately okay. No, not at all. It It felt very real. Right. Like, I don't have any experience to, like, operating on a loved one due to not being a doctor. But I do think those, like, heightened moments of awareness prompted by stress are, like, very relatable. Absolutely. So, um, did you think this book was sexy? Yeah. I thought it was so sexy. I love this book. It's, okay, first of all. All of the palpable desire for one another when they're trying to resist each other. I am a sucker for that. Then she's basically begging him to have sex with her and she, and he distracts her with orgasms. Talk about, I mean, talk about a book and this is Clefus who can have some dubious consent in her books. This book, there's not a single one that's like dubious at all. Like it's all enthusiastic consent. Until the very end when she's like, you're going to rip your wound open. And he's like, no, we'll be, we'll be quiet. And she's like, okay. And like, it's going to be quiet as if that were her problem. It's perfect. He's like, what did he say? He's like, he was like, you'll do all the work. And she was like, all right, we can do it then. <laughs> it was all so friggin' good. The only complaint about a sex scene I have. I complained about this in the last Claypus we reviewed. Once again, she's, like, got her hands and mouth all over his chest, and she licks a male nipple. 
<laughs> and I just don't understand. It's not like we're like, and he grabbed a female breast. <laughs> or he touched her female foot. It's like, I don't, they are having sex with one another. What is it with male nipples specifically being disembodied? It's weird, right? And it's like, it's sticking out to me now. Yeah. I will say, okay, I put this under sexiness for some reason, but I loved it. Like, I really liked the the clothes in the book. I think because it's specifically called out in a sex scene, she's wearing yeah. this, like, chiffon and lace dress. Oh, my gosh. I wanted the dress. And then also it seemed, like, very easy to take off. I think that was the point of describing the dress, was to describe how easy it was to have sex in the dress. Well, I also think um, it's the time of year we're in. Because it's it's summer, guys. It's very hot. Yeah, May is, is the time of year where I really start picturing, like, gauzy, floaty, flouncy summer dresses as, like, my ideal wardrobe. Like, would they have worn this picnicking in, like, 1930? Yeah. And this book, to me, screamed yes. I... I wanted to be, I wanted to wear this, it was like a pale yellow silk and cotton summer dress. And I would love to be seduced in that dress. I will just say it. Yeah. I also, maybe part of the reason I'm picturing summer picnics is because they um, have sex at a picnic. They do. They do. I mean, what can I say? It's when you're on vacation, when you're on, when, (laughs) what happens in Hampshire stays in Hampshire Lane. I'm not complaining. This book was just like, for all that it had a real spy plot, not just like an afterthought spy plot and serious character development. Like this book was just so sexy and not like it was actually explicit, but I just mean like the chemistry between the two of them was so crackling and believable and their relationship worked so well for me that I was absolutely hanging on every word. I, I, I really like this book a lot. I truly think it's her it's her best constructed book. Um, she always does a great job with characters, but here I think the plot and the characters and the themes like all came together. I love this book. I love it. It's five stars for sure. We recommend it. You should read it. It's great. Lane, do you think this book could work as a standalone? I need to ask, I need to defer to you on this one. No. Okay. Because I was about to say, you can read it. You don't need to read any of the other Ravenels. But <laughs> do you want at least marrying Winterborn? Yeah, probably. Though, honestly, so much of the spy shit is in the last one. There's a lot of spy stuff in the last one, yeah. For me, it's the more, like, him being a Ravenel bastard explains so much about him getting taken in and the reason he's at their house. Like, I think that would have felt very weird. Okay. That makes more sense. Like you didn't have some sense of the characters and how they were interacting. Like why she was so close with his secret half sisters and like, yeah, that's fair. Anyway, check it out. It's awesome. Definitely. Thank you guys so much for listening.